0: Hello, and welcome to season three of Fizzy Kids, the podcast. I am your host, Ali Fanshawe, and this is the show where we talk about relearning the way we talk to and interact with our fabulous but fizzy kids. Now, if you've heard of the term therapeutic parenting, then you've probably heard of my next guest, the inspirational Sarah Naish. Sarah is the CEO and founder of the Center of Excellence in Child Trauma. She's one of those unique people who has experienced child trauma from all angles, having been a social worker, an adoptive and foster parent, and now running an internationally renowned training group and the National Association of Therapeutic Parents. But somehow, she's still smiling and still very much alive and kicking. So I kind of feel that what she has to say is of huge value. You may have heard or read her first book, The A to Z of Therapeutic Parenting, which is all about how to put therapeutic parenting into practice with fizzy kids. Importantly, Sarah's really keen to point out that therapeutic parenting isn't just effective with adopted or fostered kids, but with any child who may struggle to regulate their big feelings and behaviours, particularly neurodiverse kids. Well, now she's written a new book, and it's all about you, the therapeutic parent, and how to survive. And goodness knows we need that, right? The first page I turned to when I read it involved hot tubs, and the second page I turned to involved Krispy creams. Now, these are real-life parenting survival techniques that I can get involved with. As always, sit back, grab a cup of tea or glass of wine, and enjoy this fascinating insight into Sarah's experience. She's one of those amazing people who just mention an absolutely blinding point in each and every sentence, so you may need to listen to it a few times to get everything from it because it's jam-packed. Hi Sarah, it is so lovely to have you with us today and it would just be great for you to introduce
1: yourself and tell us a little bit more about you. Hi, Ali. Uh, yeah, my name's Sarah Naish. I'm the um, CEO at the Centre of Excellence in Child Trauma. And um, at the Centre of Excellence in Child Trauma, we run lots of different services for adopters, foster parents, uh, special guardians, um, kinship carers and a- any other parent of um, neurodiverse children. So I started fostering myself 36 years ago. And uh, have five adopted children, all siblings, who are now happily grown up. Um, so I spend a lot of my time um, really trying to help parents go through some of the things I'm now mostly out the other side of.
0: I love that word, happily grown grown up. That gives <laughs> I think it gives like hope to all of us, um, you know. And I think for a lot of uh, people who listen to the Fizzy Kids podcast. You know, some days that is what they're looking for, just a Mm. bit of a a ray of light that they might eventually come through the other side. Um, In fact, completely unrelated, but I probably like a lot of people been following uh, Deborah, the bowel babe champion recently. And she's got this wonderful hashtag, which is rebellious hope. And I just, uh, I'm all over that when it comes to traumatised children right now. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, so thank you. That's a lovely way to introduce yourself. And what an amazing um, story. I'm sure you have to tell around that too. But the reason okay. you're here today, Sarah, is because excitingly, just today, um, your new book is out. And um, what would be lovely is if we can just have a little bit more of a chat about some of the aspects of that book. Because, I think like your initial book that you wrote, this is just full of information and full of ideas. So perhaps you can just start out today by telling us a little bit more about your new book.
1: Sure. So it's called the A to Z of survival strategies for therapeutic parents from chaos to cake. I think cake's very important in our lives and chaos is usually ever present. So Um, really this is kind of almost like the other side to therapeutic parenting so a lot of people have asked me why how is it different what's different about it to the original of therapeutic parenting so the way I look at this is that I literally sat there one day and had this revelation that everything I've written everything I read everything we do it is all about the children really it, it is Um, apart from the odd little podcast or um, training day you go to which is about self-care which mostly we think uh, who's got time for that really it feels very self-indulgent and I just thought do you know I don't think anyone's really ever got to the nub of what it's like for us honestly really authentically no holds barred no theory so I wanted to write how I got through Now I am out the other side. That's not to say we don't sometimes have our interesting days. We do, but they are interesting days now rather than relentless, difficult days. So I felt it was really important that there was a book out there that says, A, the feelings that we have, you know, like guilt, anxiety, grief, overwhelm, uh, catastrophic thinking, all those things that we fall into – But then how do we deal with that? What do we do? And and the fact that it's okay to feel all those things, because the answer isn't a bath bomb or a bath or a cup of tea. You know, those things help, of course. The answer is about someone saying, yeah, I get this. I, I have felt that, too. I have felt isolated and alone and overwhelmed. And this is what I did about it. This is how I got up in the morning. This is how I carried on, because just like all of you listening, you know, I had those days of utter despair where I felt, you know, no one is listening. Nobody gets it. What on earth am I going to do about this latest behaviour? And now I'm out the other side. So I think it's about for me, it was about looking back down through that sometimes very long, dark tunnel and looking at how did I carry on, what kept me going, and sharing those strategies. We've also, of course, had a lot of fun on the way. There's been a lot of laughter, and that's very important. So I I shared that, and when I said to my publisher about writing this book, I said to him, there will have to be swearing in this book, because there is no swearing in my other books. But I said, there will have to be swearing, because you can't be you can't be a therapeutic parent and get through without swearing in your head or at somebody at some point. And I wanted to be authentic and to put all those lovely swear words in that I had used in the past with patronising professionals and things.
0: I don't know what the bloody hell you mean, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that felt good. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, this is the first podcast that I've done that I've ever sworn on. So there we go. We're <laughs> in it together now. We're right. we're bonded for life through swearing. <laughs> um I think that's lovely. And um, you know, you, you picked up on a on a few things there, and um and, and what might be really nice is for you to just share a few kind of snippets of uh, in a bit more detail around around some of what you go through in your book I'm mm. going to dive straight in at the deep end with those two words that you used catastrophic thinking mm. and the reason I'm going to delve in there is a because I've I've read various bits in your book which refer to that but secondly because that was me at about 9 last night uh, when a whole stream of things had happened yesterday we were having quite a good week actually but then literally yesterday three major things just stacked up um, and uh, and I did I went down that path um, mm. of thinking you know what what is what is the worst thing that I'm going to be dealing with through, the, through their teenage years you know because mm. it only feels like it's going to get worse and all kinds of things are going through my head, Sarah. I'm sure I'm sure you've been there. I can imagine. <laughs> so so tell, us, tell us a little bit more about, about kind of survival strategies around catastrophic thinking.
1: Yes, yeah, so, so the way I tackle these kinds of things in the book is that, first of all, we identify all the different emotions that you have, all, all the different things that happen to us, the way that we think. So uh, catastrophic thinking, you know, the way... I looked at that like, well, that's what I used to do. So if if I got a phone call from school that said, um, oh, Rosie's uh, being excluded, for example, I didn't think... Oh, she's being excluded. What's happened? I thought, oh, it literally went from there to what's happened now. What's everyone going to think about me? Um, she'll probably be excluded permanently. Um, if this happens, how? what am I going to do for work? I can't be at home all the time. This is a nightmare. Um, is she going to be able to stay with me? So so you end up with the schools phoned up, say so she's been excluded or even less than that. She's been rude to the teacher to um we're all going to die, basically. Everyone's going to die or the family's going to break down. There's not really much in between. It's like a thing happens, it's all over, it's all finished. You know, he's going to die in prison, whatever. Um, so in the book, that's what I've done. I've, I've, I've made it really clear, like, that is what it is. That's what I'm talking about. And then each in each section, it has the strategies underneath for dealing with that particular emotion or feeling, because, of course, multiple strategies deal with multiple different feelings. So there's a crossover there. So, some of the strategies that I I've use with Catastrophic Thinking, and, and literally when I was writing this book, I did a lot of looking out the window and thinking, what did I do? You know, yeah, I remember feeling that. What did I do? And I think what I learned to do over time is I learned to just literally almost pause it and do a rewind and rewind my thoughts and go back to, well, hang on a minute, you know, where where did this start? And I would go back through the the stages. So how have I got from she's been rude to the teacher to the family's going to break down? Like, what what are the stages before that? And I literally, sometimes I'd sit down, I'd write them down. And then I'd think how, how likely each stage was. And also, most importantly, what I could do at each stage. So if I was applying catastrophic thinking to being excluded, instead of going straight into the family's going to break down, I'd be re- reeling that back to um, she may be excluded permanently or this might happen to, all right, what can I do about that? I can go into the school and I can say to them, this is why this is happening, or explore with them why we think it might be happening and do a bit of educating the school around that. Um, so so that's, that's where I go with it because it's, so, it's such a default mechanism it is what we do. We, we are surrounded by trauma. Our children are traumatized and they can traumatise us. So it's natural that just like our children, because that's what they do, we start mirroring that and we go into, oh, we're all gonna die. Um, but we didn't all die. So it was all right. <laughs> that, is, that is so refreshing to hear that, Sarah.
0: And um, and like you say, and and you know, what what's really starting to become clear is that this book is your experiences. They are real, lived experiences. And, um, you know, like you say, now that you've got that ability to have that perspective on things that have happened, I guess we're getting the benefit of that in the book. We're getting the benefit of you now having stepped back and actually kind of looking and thinking what, what you did to kind of help yourself in those situations. And what's really nice is that in each section of the book, it also kind of leads you to other sections doesn't it so Mm. you really don't have to pick up the book and read it from start to finish you Mm. can literally think holy moly what just happened you know all I said was we're going on holiday and like crazy stuff started to happen (laughs) and you can literally go to the holiday section which then leads Mm. you to another section so so tell us a little bit more about about that structure of the book and why you think it will be so
1: beneficial to uh, uh to slightly traumatized parents I think the thing is that when things happen and especially if we're in compassion fatigue and overwhelmed, it's really difficult to access the help we need there and then. so that's why I structured that way so that really the main thing you've got to think about is how am I feeling you can you can start there if you want. how am I feeling is it anxiety is it guilt? Is it grief? Is it is it that I'm feeling disappointed, or you know, someone's forgotten about me or taken me for granted? So you can, if you want to, you can just start off with, yeah, I'm I'm feeling that, and you can start by just reading about have I got that and what I've done in the book because I've kind of checked that out and I've said this is what I'm talking about. This this is what I mean when I'm talking about anxiety, and then that leads on to. At the top of it, it says also see. So, for example, it might say grief, see also guilt, Um, so that they cross over so that's about identifying the feelings that we have and and saying all the way through and this is normal you know people do feel this way because nobody was even talking about compassion fatigue six years ago until we did the first research that wasn't out there it was just um you know get over yourself basically that that was the 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 sort of thing we had to to deal with um so and, and then I thought well it's all very well identifying with the feelings because that's what most stuff around self-care does. Most stuff around self-care says, oh, it's okay to feel guilty. It's okay to feel bad. Go and have a nice long bath. And as I say in the book, the thing is I couldn't even turn the taps on before my children were banging at the door. So um in theory and in practice, you know what I do in the book is I hold people accountable for that. And I say, well, if someone says to me, go, oh go and have a lovely bath, I say, well, great, you can look after children then are you? no didn't think so so how am I going to I remember a social worker said to me once take yourself off for a nice long walk I said great uh, you having the kids while I go and take myself off for a nice long walk no I didn't think you were so how am I going to go and have this nice long walk so I thought it was really important to, to tackle the elephant in the room really because because it is there everyone has this everyone outside of our lives don't live our lives has this fluffy view that we can simply drop the children off at the late, at the local brownies and go off for a lovely cake with our friends. And we all know that does not happen. It doesn't happen because a brown owl is definitely going to phone you up in five minutes saying, get your child now. Um, they're trying to kill somebody. So it's not very relaxing, really. So I wanted to have, it's just a reality check. So I'm really hoping a lot of social workers read it and get an idea about things they must not say to us uh, and why they mustn't say it. So I have some useful phrases for people to use in those situations.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> and that comes across really beautifully, actually, Sarah. It's it's kind of like a, um, there's a real sense of sisterhood there, you know, in terms of like you read parts of it and you think, yeah, actually, I'd quite like to make that point known so that that really comes across beautifully what mm. what I'd just quite like to do and and it's a slight divergence from this book um uh, but just because we've got you on this podcast and because you're such a an expert and and big big kind of believer in it just tell us a little bit more about therapeutic parenting and
1: the i guess the the kind of the upsides and the downsides to it mm. Yeah, I I think, I mean, obviously, like most of your listeners, I'm sure, fell into therapeutic parenting completely by chance, because, of course, when I adopted my children, even though I had fostered and I've been a nursery nurse and a social worker, I just thought I would need to give the children a bit of nurture, a bit of structure, and we'd all be all right by Saturday tea time, really. Um, Probably not quite that naive, but not far off. And um, I didn't know I was doing therapeutic parenting, and I didn't realise really until they were in their teens and I kind of was able to have a bit of a step back and go oh what I'm doing looks very different to what anyone else is doing so I learned therapeutic parenting from my children I didn't read any books Danny Hughes hadn't read hadn't written the book in time for me he it was it was my children were quite old by the time which was lovely but um, there was nothing there. And then I looked at other experienced foster parents and adopters and I thought, yeah, they're all doing the same thing. They all intrinsically knew we have a strong structure. We have a strong routine. And those are the fundamental foundations, really, of therapeutic parenting. And they happen automatically because we know that if we shift tea time, our children will make us pay so so we we learn that really quickly and early on. So we just kind of adapt and, and change our routines really. So so we start off therapy painting quite naturally. What didn't come naturally to me, but what again I, I learned over time was if I was able to step out of the moment and and really sort of look at what the child was doing and reflect back to them what they were doing and how they might be feeling in the moment rather than trying to reason with them or put in some kind of consequence in that moment I realized that I had a very different uh, response and that life became much much easier so I think sometimes people think therapeutic parenting is complicated and difficult to implement but Actually, what I found, it made life easier. So, for example, this uh, weekend just gone, I was looking, I had my niece down with her child who's neurodiverse and uh, my niece was doing a bit of standard parenting. So this child was trying to open the gate to come in to see us and she couldn't open the gate. So what she did, she started screeching and whining. Now, I try not to interfere. So I was interested to see. I was trying to support my niece, who's a first time parent, Charles, three years old. And I said, Oh, what, what, what are you going to do? You know, this little girl's crying away. And, and she said, um, She's got to learn. She's got to learn. Um, she has sensory issues, this little girl. She has developmental coordination delay. Um, but if she whines, I won't come. <laughs> I won't come and see her. So I said, that's an interesting point of view. Um, I wonder how she's going to learn that because, you know, nobody's teaching her. She's by the gate crying and whining. I said, uh, what, watch this. Um, this might make your life a bit easier because my niece was getting very stressed out. So I went over to the gate and I said to the girl, darling, you're looking really upset. Um, um, are you, I, I, want, I wonder if you're feeling upset because you can't open the gate And she immediately stopped crying. I mean, on Securely Attached children Therapy Parenting works so brilliantly, immediately stopped crying and said, yes. And I said, oh, I wonder what we could do to help you. Is there anything that you can think of that uh, would would help to get the gate open? And she said, Auntie Sarah, can you open the gate? I said, yes, of course, I'd be delighted to. So I opened the gate. So I hadn't undermined her mum. The child had asked uh, and um, she came through. And I said to my niece, that's all therapeutic parenting is, really. It's just being in that moment with the child and saying, "I can see you're upset, and how can I help you with this?" Rather than, "Yeah, stop that noise right now!" Right, so I'm going. To... <laughs> that's who's having a nice time with that kind of parenting? Not me, that's for sure. That's uh,
0: that is a really lovely example, isn't it? And and what a great comment that you just threw in there, very lightly. Therapeutic parenting works so beautifully with securely attached children.
1: <laughs> First time, every time,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and actually, funnily enough, because I talk a lot about language and kind of the language that we use with our children and the power that that language can have, and uh, and and the, I I notice that um, the most comments I get are from people who have securely attached children who are maybe neurodiverse as well. Yeah, um, <clears throat> and it does, doesn't it? It does work beautifully. But to be fair, it also makes a heck of a difference to children who are not securely attached because of an early childhood trauma or an adverse childhood experience, whatever mm. might have happened to them. So I think that's a really that's a really useful insight into that. And, and I like your comment about it may, it made my life easier. Mm. You know And I think um, I think really this book that you've put together, that, that kind of, that thread is there all the way through. You know, re- really what you are seeking to do with the books, both books really that you've written, is to make the parents' life easier. Mm. But in do, in making the parents' life easier, you're also making life
1: better for the kids too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the thing is, I think for years and years and years, it, through my work as a social worker and everything, I noticed that, of course, the focus, the forms, the meetings, the focus is on the child. I understand why. But what I know and what I've learned and I I run therapeutic fostering agencies as well is if you do not look after the parent, you cannot meet the needs of the child. It's as simple as that. But we know that by meeting the, the emotional needs and the practical needs of the parents, they are then able, of course, to meet the needs of the child. And what you have is long term stability. Now, for me, that is completely simple common sense. But I spend most of my life educating social services about that one simple fact that, you know, instead of um, having these difficult conversations with parents where we alienate them and blame them and indulge in a bit of judgment and uh, unhelpfully compare our children to neurotypical children securely attached children instead of doing that it's much better to just get alongside and listen and really put yourself in the place of that parent because when we do that we're improving the mental health of parents we're helping them to feel that sense of relief we're helping them to feel less isolated and then they can reconnect to the child so we we have in our therapeutic fostering ages we virtually lose no children at all and no foster parents. And that's just because we are making sure the foster parents are properly supported and heard and listened to. And I think that's um, to me, as I say, it's it's a uh, it's an absolute no brainer. really.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that leads us really nicely onto the next kind of theme that that I really wanted to talk about around this book. Which is the impact that trauma can have on the people who are trying to care for those traumatized children. And you know you, you use the word survival strategies. and mm. I think it is it, it's not too over the top to say that some days is just about surviving. I'm mm. sorry are some days are just about surviving, right? So mm. so maybe you can just give us a little bit more of an insight into the impact that trauma can have
1: on families yeah I mean we we do a lot of work at um, NATP which is the National Association of Therapeutic Parents we support thousands of parents across the UK and, and indeed in other countries and what we see the impact of looking at children from trauma first of all is that the shock element where people haven't been properly prepared there's a you know unless they're using our new therapeutic fostering assessment often adopters of foster parents do not know what they're getting into they they don't know about trauma and sometimes I'm sad to say the social worker doesn't know about that either I certainly didn't have that training when I was at university and I know that most social workers still don't have that training now shockingly so that information just isn't isn't kind of out there. And I think that what happens is, is that we have this kind of sense of isolation. And then we're dealing with all the fallout from the children's trauma. And the children's trauma impacts us in in a couple of different ways, three different ways, really, I think number one is the fact that we obviously start to build a bond with those children nine times out of ten, not always, but nine times out of ten we, we, we develop a bond with the children. we, we love them and therefore their trauma um, is very sad for us because we it's very difficult for us to know and um, really understand the the trauma that our children suffered. Then there's the behaviors that the children have which impacts on us, which causes trauma, especially where there's violence. You know, I, we certainly work with a lot of parents where there's um, violence and we, we run um, uh, training on managing violent behaviour. And there's that impact on the couple relationship. If you're in a couple relationship, it may be that one parent has a completely different view of uh, the child and what's happening to the child. So there's tension. We certainly are approached by people where the relationship's broken down. Um, there might be false allegations happening where the professionals around you don't understand that our children mix up memories and talk about things that have happened as if they are happening now. Uh, all about that. And by the way, if any of your listeners have are dealing with uh, an allegation or a false allegation, um, they can download the free allegation support pack from the Centre for Excellence and Child Trauma, and that will really help them to, to navigate the, the process. And third, and, and, and uh, finally, the impact of compassion fatigue, because when we are subjected to relentless behaviours and we're on this kind of merry-go-round where we just keep coming back to the same place where we thought we'd resolved something, but we haven't resolved it, and now it seems a bit worse – Um, we can have this physiological condition in our brain which makes us withdraw from the child and it's about that's about our brain trying to keep us okay and trying to protect us and um, help us to survive but actually that of course not only damages the relationship between us and our children but it means that people around us start judging us as well and blaming us for anything that might go wrong because we're just trying to survive so I think that you know, and and I was talking, I was doing a, a podcast this morning on not a podcast a webinar this morning on um um losing your identity. and um I was talking about those times when we are overwhelmed and and how it's so difficult sometimes to just get up in the morning and just carry on and how I have to make little deals with myself. I'm just gonna put my feet on the floor and then I'm just gonna get to the bathroom and then I'm just gonna do that and then and then the day has started. But um, there's no doubt that our children's trauma impacts on us and also changes us. I am a different person now to before I had my children. Uh, I would say deep down I'm a happier person because I was very unhappy when I didn't have children. Um, now I'm out the other side. I say I'm a happier person, um, but I'm different. I'm hyper vigilant. I jump at loud noises. I'm uh, very, very resilient. I'm very Calm, I'm able to deal with virtually anything that comes my way. I wasn't really like that before. So there's some really good benefits from being exposed to consistent, (laughs) tricky behaviors, I think.
0: Oh, Sarah, that is wonderful. And again, just such a a ray of hope to people who will be listening and stuck right in the middle of it right now with just barely being able to put your feet on the floor in the morning, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think. Many many people will will you know completely understand and empathise with. So mm. I, I actually really just want to say thank you at this moment for your for your honesty there because that makes a huge difference to hear that. And gosh, there was so much wrapped up in in that last three minutes that you gave us. I could unpick it all, um, but without without having the time to do that, um, may, maybe just give us kind of a a little bit more of that um conversation that you had you started there around um kind of couples and relationships Mm. um because I noticed obviously you do talk about that in your book Mm. you know Mm. you you are You are cognizant of the fact that we are not just isolated people dealing with stuff on our own. There is quite often another person in the relationship a husband or a wife or a girlfriend or a partner, whatever it might be. So, tell us a little bit more about how you think the book might be able to support the whole family rather than just an individual who reads it.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was quite a strong theme. So, what I have in there is a lot of strategies around what you can do if you're in a couple relationship where you're struggling um i've got loads of strategies about how you speak to each other the types of things you need to talk about when you do that and and how you do that we also have webinars about improving your couple relationship as well that you can look at um and it also goes out to the extended family because it can be really difficult sometimes preserving those relationships with extended family mum dad brothers sisters even like close friends And I have in there strategies for how you talk to them, the sorts of things you can show them, little videos you can show them. If they're not going to sit and read the book, maybe you can sit and watch a video with them. Because when you bring in a third person, and it might be me on a video, that validates what you've been saying for the last six months, that can be a very powerful shifter. Because if you've been saying, say, to your mum for the last six months, the thing is, mum, he's not securely attached and therefore he behaves like this. And, and your mum saying, oh, all he needs is a good smack or all, he, you know, you think he'd be grateful or silly nonsense like that. When you've suddenly got a video of somebody else coming in, room saying, this is how the child's brain develops. This is what they can do. This is what they can't do. And this is why. There is a shift there often. So in the book, we, we put in those strategies and we tell you where to find it. So you can bring a third person in, if you like, to help with all that.
0: Yeah, and and that was that was really I was finding that incredibly useful because however strong your family links are, however strong your partnership it is, it, it will undoubtedly come under pressure mm. because of the pressures that your children are dealing with, um, mm. and because of those behaviours which, for many adoptive and foster families, they may not ever have experienced before. You know, I, I kind of I always I always talk about this idea that you know a lot of adopters, adopters and foster parents. Are really, you know, integrally good, honest, kind people who've got a lot of love to give, and they will never, in their lives, have experienced some of the behaviours that they witnessed from their own children, yeah. and uh, and and that is, you know, that takes a, a lot of getting used to, right? Yeah, it does.
1: It does, and it builds a resilience. You can deal with anything afterwards, absolutely. honestly, absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, that's
0: been amazing, and. Um, I, I feel hugely inspired to kind of go back and read certain parts of the book, which I, I didn't have a chance to read in detail before I talked to you. Just give us a flavour, Sarah, to wrap up. How do you really envision this book helping the people who read it? What, what would be a lovely outcome for you from, from somebody who picked up this book?
1: My uh, The feedback I had from the early copies I released was exactly what I was aiming for. And that was. This is my comfort blanket. This is I can look at this and dip in and out of it, and I don't feel alone anymore. And I know it's not just me. And I think that's why I wrote in the marketing stuff. Right, I said something like, you know, if the A to Z was your was your guide, your, then this is your hot flask of tea and your 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 cozy blanket to keep you safe on your journey, because you know the original A to Z. That is your compass in your map. That tells you how to navigate through with your child. But you do need something for you as well on that journey. And that's what this book is. So, yeah, you need them both in your life, really, I think.
0: Absolutely. If I can just swap the tea for
1: coffee, I'll be a very happy woman, Sarah. There's a section on coffee.
0: I noticed. Don't (laughs) worry. And Krispy Kremes. Yeah,
1: Krispy Kreme donuts. Yeah. And cake. There's a whole section on cake. I love it. I love
0: it. Uh, Sarah, just before um, I say goodbye, tell us quickly, because you've mentioned a few uh, places that people can find more resources on. So could you just give us a few websites or contact points that any of our listeners can go to if they want to
1: find out more about your great organisations? Sure. Well, luckily, what we've done is we have put everything under one website. So if you go to www.coect.co.uk, from there, you can literally click on support and that will take you to the National Association of Diabetic Parents. You can click on online training and it'll take you to our you know 360 degree training portal which is basically videos of me and my training team uh where you can sit and watch it with a cup of tea I mean who has time to fill in lots of uh exams I don't um and um fostering it's it's got everything in in one place and the publications as well so you've only got to remember that coect.co.uk and also just to quickly mention Sarah you do have your own podcast don't you oh yes I do and actually they are on that they are on there. So we've got about 18 podcasts and that covers everything from like the early days, uh, dealing with perfect parents. And we have all different presenters, but they are all not, they are experts, but they're lived in experts. We don't have anybody in COECT who does it from theory. Everyone is either a child from trauma or an adopter, a foster parent or a parent of a neurodiverse child, as well as a social worker or therapist or whatever. So they speak from the heart. Fantastic. Sarah, thank you so much for your time.
0: We wish you all the very best with the A to Z of Survival Strategies. Uh, We hope the book launch goes well and look forward to maybe talking to you again in the future.
1: Thanks very much, Ali.
0: It was such an honour to interview Sarah. Don't forget you can buy her new book, which is out now from All Good bookshops. You can also find loads more information on trauma and therapeutic parenting on the Fizzy Kids Instagram and Facebook pages at the Fizzy Kids, as well as links to all our podcasts and more in-depth training courses on our website, www.fizzykids.co.uk. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter so you never miss a new podcast or course. Until next time, folks, take care and keep defizzing that fizz.